In our gospel reading today, Jesus asked a question, but to what shall I liken this generation? This causes us, I think, to consider what generation are we? You know, from time to time, I can be a bit slow to catch on to the schemes around me. Some of these schemes, both large in the political arena and smaller in my personal relationships and in, the, in my communities, I don't always see or understand where accusations are coming from. Now, if you've known me for more than just a few minutes, you know that I enjoy history, particularly military history, and thus I love movies about past wars and politics. You know, we've all seen a scene in a movie like that where some conniving, manipulative leader who is clearly recognizing the enemies of the, the efforts of the enemy, and they, and they say something like this, oh, I, I understand what they're doing, because that's what I would do. They had, in fact, already thought of this, or had even already done these very things. This type of projecting evil that I do onto my opponents is not a new tactic. Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 10, he says, Is there anything of which it may be said, See, this is new? It's already been in ancient times before. But you know, this type of projecting is one that we have seen close up in recent years. Folks bringing charges against others, but in fact, the very evil they accuse others is what the accusers are doing. What is our generation compared to? Let's ask for the Lord's blessing and the preaching of his word. O Lord Jesus Christ, who at your first coming did send your messenger to prepare your way before you, grant that I may be a faithful steward and in the same way prepare and make ready your way. Please turn the hearts of your people to your wisdom and justice that you may find in your final coming an acceptable people in your sight. O Lord Jesus, who lives and reigns with the Father and the Holy Spirit, ever one God, world without end. Amen. Amen. So I want us to hear, um, I'm going to read just the first verse of chapter 11 of Matthew, give a brief explanation, and then we'll read our text all together so we understand the context of where we are in Christ's ministry. We see in, in Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 1, it says this, Now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And of course, remember all of these breaks that you find in the scriptures, these chapters, these verses, um, they're there for reference points, and they're not usually, frequently anyway, good breaks in the storyline. And this happens to be one of those times because the whole chapter of chapter 10 is Jesus preparing to send out the disciples and empowering them with the ability to heal people, to preach to people, and he gives all sorts of instructions. So this verse really ought to be the last verse in chapter 10, 
and we see that it says that after he sent them out, Jesus isn't one of those guys that sends other people out and doesn't go and do it himself. So once he sends them out and commissions them out to go and preach the gospel, the good news that the Son of God is here, that the person everyone has been waiting for is here, and that we're going to demonstrate that he truly is the Savior by healing people and delivering people, both through word and deed, that that he himself is going to go out and he is going to preach in other cities. And that brings us to where we are today. So that's the context coming into this this passage here today in chapter 11. So let's pick up at verse 2. We'll read this together and then we'll break it down a little bit. And it says this, And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he who was not offended because of me. As they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what did you go out and see? A prophet. Yes, I say to you more than a prophet. For this is he whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who prepare your way before you. And that's the close of Malachi, the last prophet of the Old Testament. Jesus goes on in verse 11 and says, Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has never risen one greater than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears, let him hear. But to what shall I liken this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their companions and saying, We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We mourned for you, and you did not lament. For John came, neither eating or drinking, and they say, He has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is justified by her children. When we see this passage, Jesus has two things going on in this this passage. He is addressing first John's disciples who show up. And it says, of course, that John had heard in prison about the works of Christ. You know, John knows of Jesus' ministry. You know, he could be sitting there in prison and could be thinking, man, some time has passed since he was out there in the wilderness baptizing people to repentance, and he said, the axe has been laid to the root of the tree, and there's one coming behind me, and he's going to bring judgment and fire, and he's going to baptize you in this way. And if you look at the timeline, it's a long time in in terms of expectation. John realizes this is Jesus, 
And it isn't tomorrow that he brings judgment. It's not the day after that that he brings deliverance. Or the day after that, or the day after that, it kind of reminds us of when you start Advent and you put up your tree and you put up the decorations and you put on the music and the kids are going, how many days is it? How many days is it? Right? It's with that great expectation. And in the meantime, John is thrown into prison. And he's like, okay, I'm sitting in the prison. What's going on? Is Jesus doing these things? And so he sends two of his, two of his disciples to go say, Jesus, what's happening here? I, I know what you're doing in terms of I'm hearing the things that you're doing. And Jesus actually says very comforting words to John's disciples. It says this in verse 4 of Matthew 11. Jesus answered them and said, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who was not offended because of me. Now, you can think about this. Do you think John didn't know that Jesus was doing those things? We've all been amazed from time to time how gossip moves, right? If we had somebody running around doing great works, every news station in the planet would be right there. But, you know, news got out pretty well before all this. Before we had technology, people talked about it. Jesus is going about, it is not as if he didn't know that Jesus was healing people and delivering people from their sins and healing them of their afflictions. But this is not just what this is about. In this response, Jesus quotes two passages from the book of Isaiah. In Isaiah 35 that we read today, in verse 4 it says, Say to those who are fearful hearted, be strong and do not fear. Right, John was feeling fearful a little bit. He's in jail. God's going to bring deliverance. Those that are, that are in continual expectation, there's been 400 years of silence. John comes. You think you're at the moment. The whole world's going to change. And then days go by, months go by, more than a year goes by. And you're thinking, what is going on? So you are a little fearful hearted. And Isaiah says, Jesus is quoting from this, and, he, and it says, Be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. And of course, he's, John's thinking, okay, I was looking for that. Where is it? And then it says in Isaiah 35, He will come and save you. Then what? The eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped, and the lame shall leap like deer, and the tongue of the dumb sing for the water shall burst forth in the wilderness and the streams in the desert. We see this here and we go, wait a minute, Jesus is saying, look to God's word. Are these things being fulfilled from God's word? Stand on God's word. He also quotes from Isaiah 61.1, or 61 beginning with verse 1, and it says this, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because Yahweh has anointed me to do what? to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of Yahweh, and the day of vengeance of our God, 
to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And if you were privileged this morning to be in Sunday school with us where we went over Psalm 101, you see very many of the very same themes in Psalm 101 that apply right here. But all of this is God comes with both vengeance, judgment, and mercy, deliverance for his people. And Jesus is communicating this to John's disciples through these passages. The acceptable day of the Lord brings both vengeance and judgment to the proud and liberty from those things that bind and keep his people separated from himself. What are these things that they're delivered from? Blindness, lameness, leprosy, deathness, and death. In the law that God gave Israel when he constituted them in a nation, he provided degrees of separation of holiness for the priests to the nations. Among these were physical issues. These conditions made people unclean and unable to come into God's presence at the temple. When Jesus came, he was removing barriers to reconciliation to God. Jesus was different from all others before him. You see, in the Old Testament, if you encountered something that was unclean, or a person that was unclean, and you touched it, you came into contact with it, you were unclean, and there were procedures to become clean again. But when Jesus touches the unclean person, or unclean thing, he makes them clean. Jesus is not corrupted, but he instead removes the uncleanness so people may be reconciled to God. Additionally, these passages from Isaiah speak of restoration and the resurrection of Israel. Jesus finishes his responses to his hearers, be blessed by not being offended by him. This is protect, predicted in Isaiah and also repeated in 1 Peter. We see in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 8, where it says, and this is quoting Isaiah 8, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble, being disobedient to the word to which they were also appointed. What is this temptation that Jesus is speaking about to be offended by him? When we hear God's word, and remember Jesus is the Logos, he is God's word. When we hear God's word and we become uncomfortable with what God says, or even worse, outraged that God would order salvation in such a fashion, that's the temptation before us. You see, sometimes we say, I'm not used to thinking like that. As a matter of fact, it offends me that it's not of my own works, that I have to simply believe and trust God. To be faithful followers of Christ, we must, in fact, be prepared to have our sinful natures offended and acknowledge our sin in humility, confess our sins, and not be offended by Jesus. And it says this in verse 7 of Matthew 11, as they departed, so John's disciples get these passages, and they say, okay, we're going to deliver this back 
to John, Jesus turns around to all the hearers there and says this, What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken in the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments. Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what did you go out to see? A prophet. Yes, I say to you, more than a prophet. And of course, he goes on and he says, Look, I want you to hear me now. John is this from Malachi 3. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare the way before you. And Jesus asked these three questions. Did you go out and see a reed blowing in the wind? You know, reeds are found in water. And the wind that's blowing them, what is wind in the scriptures? The spirit. So you have the spirit hovering over the waters. There's creational language here. Did you go out to see that? But this points also to the new creation found in Christ Jesus. He then says, did you go out to see someone in soft clothing? These are things that are in king's palaces, human king's courts. John did not come from the powerful influencers in the great palaces and the great cities of his time. No, you didn't go out there to see if God was doing something new. You didn't go out there because he was a super influencer. No, you went out to see a prophet. You know, God meets his prophets in the wilderness. We can think of Moses, Elijah, even Jesus in the 40 days. And last week we saw that the baptism of repentance that John preached took place in the Jordan wilderness where those who repented... They pass through the wilderness and through the waters of the Jordan. And, and it gives us this understanding of returning to the re- and the re- restoration of God's people. This is exciting because there's 400 years of silence from the prophets. And they've been wondering, is John Elijah, who's spoken of at the close of the Old Testament? And Jesus brings absolute clarity and really vindication to John's ministry When he says in verse 11, Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there is not risen one greater than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent taketh it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And so Jesus says, you know what? He absolutely is the one you've been looking for, the prophet Elijah. I want to be abundantly clear. And it's interesting, after he is abundantly clear and he says, absolutely, this is a fact, he says, and if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears, let him hear. So Jesus himself says, if you're willing, receive it. And he who has ears, let him hear. And, of course, when we look at this this whole passage, we say, what's this violence Jesus is talking about here? You see, they know that when Jesus, when the Son of Man comes, that there's a time coming where the Messiah will bring tribulation on Israel. There will be great turmoil, false prophets. And they're they're going to have expectation that Jesus bring, the Son of Man brings judgment and deliverance. 
John's ministry marks the beginning of the great cosmic battle where Jesus will deliver his people from their sin and ascend to the throne over all heaven and earth. Jesus then becomes very clear that John is in fact the prophet Elijah who connects and fulfills the close of the old covenant. Jesus declares, if you are willing to hear it, hear it. And you see, this brings us to this, the tension in the passage right here. Are you willing to hear it? Will you hear it? But verse 16 brings us to this question of rejection and repentance. And Jesus says, but to what shall I liken this generation? It's like little children sitting in the marketplaces, calling to their companions and saying, hey, we played the flute for you, but you didn't dance. We mourned, and you didn't lament. And Jesus says, you know what else? Not only did, did you, you have this proverbial dancing and playing music and all of this and lamentations, he says, for John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. And the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look, a glutton and a wine-bibber a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And then Jesus has this real odd line at the end, at least as far as we read it. But wisdom is justified by her children. But when we look at this passage, we know as we read the rest of the Gospels that many of the people of Israel did not repent when John was preparing the way by repentance or when Jesus came. They didn't repent. In fact, they rejected John, and now they're rejecting Jesus. With haughty eyes, they simply seek to judge John and Jesus by discrediting them. The haughty eye creates a standard, their own standard, and declares that my pride, that in my pride, I have my own standard. And this, this own standard that I create for myself, this allows me to exercise judgment on others they say john is a demon and jesus is gluttonous a drunk and friends of those who collude with oppressors jesus says that wisdom is needed to know the times those who become offended by jesus and the gospel write their own music and lyrics out of step with god they're even astounded that god is not dancing to their beat and that can happen to us as well. You know, it's always great we hear these things talking about sin and talking about the people in the Old Testament. And a lot of times we can evoke it to people outside our, our church. But the reality is we do this too. We come out and say, I've got my standard. Why is God not, why is God not dancing to the music that I write? to my perspective you know this chapter ends with woes and rest woes and blessings in verse 20 Jesus says this he began to rebuke cities in which most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent and in verse 23 he goes on and says and you Capernaum who are exalted to heaven will be brought down to Hades for if the mighty works which had were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. 
Jesus says, look, you can't create your own standard. You can't have your own way of deliverance and salvation. No, you can't because I've come and I've brought this deliverance. I've done these works. I have cleared up the barriers to getting in to being in the presence of God Almighty. And you're disregarding them all. As a matter of fact, you're just accusing me of what you're actually doing. And then Jesus says in verse 25, he brings blessing. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise. This word wise here isn't like the wise that we think about um, from Proverbs. No, this is the expert, the supposed expert, the person that knows everything, that should have everything figured out. God has hidden these things from, and the prudent, that is, the learned person, and have revealed them to babes. Here's a big caution for us. Sometimes we say, okay, we've got our church service, and it's a particular fashion, and we've got it all right and all figured out. And if we just do our patterns, well, we're okay. And anybody not doing my patterns, not doing what I'm doing, you know, I don't think that they're following God at all. And I know I say that, I'm picking, I'm picking one thing out, but there are all kinds of ways where we make ourselves our experts and not experts of the gospel. Not submitting, what is Jesus here before he even says this? He submits himself to the Father by saying, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. We must remember that our Father in heaven is Father of all of heaven and earth and has given it, as it says in Psalm 2, He's given all that authority to his son. And then Jesus says, in terms of bringing blessing, he says, come to me, all you who labor. That's, you're wearisome in effort and toil and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, I want to just mention to you, where do we know labor from? I don't know that there's ever a sermon I can go by where I can't point back to the garden right the labor that toiling that's part of the curse of sin when you're tied up jesus says come to me when you're worn out with your sin when you're toiling when you're laboring and you have these heavy laden you know you're you're burdened down and usually this type of 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 what jesus is talking about here it's about it's about you're burdened up with your own rites and liturgy religious rites your own liturgy and unwarranted precepts in other words you say i'm not going i'm going to be like those people playing my own song and i've created all kinds of other things that make me righteous and good my own standard that's a heavy place to be you're still carrying the weight you're still carrying the curse of your sin. But Jesus says, come to me, come to me. Let's take those off, and I will give you rest. So what about this generation? Many of this generation despise the gospel because our cultural influencers and those of exalted positions reject Christ and the gospel. These folks which sometimes includes us, they play their flutes to their song, and Christ 
doesn't dance to it. This generation, which includes us, declares and cries out of their own standards and high and lifted up ideas of lifestyles and justice, saying, my justice should be mourned, and with great wailing and lamentation. When we define our own truth, we will fill our lives up with our own attempts to resolve the guilt and regret of sin. We act like a hoarder of our own truth. And in this hoarding, we are not submitting to the rest offered by Jesus Christ. We have no room to spare. We've cluttered, we've cluttered so much of our own ways to work out our salvation that we have no room to spare for the gospel. We swell in our pride to our own wicked confidence. We become like Adam's meager attempt to cover the nakedness of his sin. Even worse, we assemble our own ways of salvation to cover ourselves. And we become, as Isaiah chapter 64 verse 6 says it, but we are all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf. You know, if, if God hadn't showed up right then, those leaves that Adam and Eve were trying to cover with, they would have just shriveled up and died, and they'd still been uncovered. And our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Christ Jesus came to remove the curse of always toiling and yet never being relieved. So in our vain efforts, we create burdens that we lay upon ourselves and others and still find no relief. We make God's word a stumbling block. The Christian's life is a humble life of repentance, restoration, and rest through Christ Jesus.